BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Thirteen coffins draped in the American flag and bearing the remains of U.S. troops killed in last week's suicide attack in Kabul returned home this weekend, marking the tragic final chapter in America's war in Afghanistan. With less than 24 hours remaining before the deadline for U.S. evacuation, Americans are left to wonder about the fate of those left behind and who, if anyone, will be held accountable for the mess. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to the Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. The Biden administration promised that there would be reprisals against those who are responsible for that heinous uh, suicide attack at Kabul airport last week. And they've already taken action. CBS News headline here was that U.S. airstrike uh, took out ISIS-K vehicle packed with explosives in Kabul. So here we have the Biden administration in the final hours as the clock continues to tick Uh, the final hours of U.S. presence in Afghanistan, with a military presence, I should say, taking uh, kinetic action against what would have been a suicide bombing attack again against the airport. The Biden administration also had a drone strike that it ordered in eastern Afghanistan on two individuals that it said were behind the first major terror attack. Um, those names have not yet been released, and some are questioning how it would be possible that the Biden team would, one, already know with any certainty who planned the terror attack of last week, and two, that they'd be able to find them this quickly and strike them so precisely. Um, But there was also, in the attack on the vehicle, uh, the U.S. strike against the vehicle that was on its way to Kabul airport, there were civilian casualties. About 10 have been reported, including children. Here is the Pentagon spokesman, uh, Kirby, saying that they're going to be honest about civilian loss of life. When we know that we have caused innocent life to be lost in the conduct of our operations, we're transparent about it. Uh, we're investigating this. I'm not going to get ahead of it. Uh, but if we have you know, verifiable information that we did, in fact, take innocent life here, then, then we will we'll be transparent about that, too. Nobody wants to see that happen. This continues uh, on here, and we're even starting to hear that the last flights, uh, the last flights of refugees and American civilians have already left Kabul airport before Taliban control takes over. So this is at the very end of it, and it is highly likely that there are still Americans, as I speak to you now, who have been left behind in Afghanistan. 
Biden, Biden administration has said sometimes that everyone who wants to get out will. I think we all know that it's almost inconceivable that any Americans, given the Taliban's reputation and ferocity, would want to stay behind in that country and be left to their mercy. So it's very likely that some form of evacuation operations are going to have to continue even after this. Here is Secretary of State Blinken talking about Americans who may be left behind and what's going to happen with them. You may have seen that uh, just yesterday, a very senior Taliban official went on television and radio across the country and repeatedly assured people in Afghanistan that they would have the freedom to travel after August 31st. He even specifically said uh, those who work for the Americans uh, and uh, those who want to leave for whatever reason will have that freedom. Now, of course, we don't take the Taliban at their word. We take them uh, by their deed, and that's what we're going to be looking to. We have more than 100 countries, 114 countries, who signed on to a statement we initiated uh, making clear the international community expects the Taliban to make good on a commitment to let people continue to leave the country after August 31st. That freedom of travel is essential to the international community's expectations of the Taliban going forward. They are trusting in the Taliban. They have no choice, you see. They're going to ask. They're going to beg, plead, coerce, trade up, whatever they've got to do. Because the Taliban controls Afghanistan now, and we are out. We are leaving, basically have already left at this point. So the Taliban is going to be with the responsibility of letting Americans, this is where we are, letting Americans leave the country under the current circumstances. That's what we're facing now, as well as all these Afghans who worked with U.S. military, Afghan SIV recipients, and others who have been left behind. The Biden administration, to be very clear, is about to leave people behind on the battlefield of Afghanistan. They're going to leave civilians behind. They're going to leave some of our uh, fellow combatants who worked with U.S. military as Afghans. They are going to be stuck in this country, and it will just have to be a, a function of their own ability to stay ahead of the Taliban tormentors to see if they can actually get out of the country in one piece. When Joe Biden is pressed on this issue, here's the kind of attitude that he takes. I'm not, I'm not supposed to take any questions, but go ahead. Mr. President, on Afghanistan? I'm not going to answer Afghanistan now. Can you okay. I'm not going to deal with it. They're going to be telling you in a few weeks' time, oh, we did a great job. We did a great job. In fact, if you remember, just, uh, just last week, they were saying that it was, pretty, it was going pretty well before the suicide bombing attack happened. ABC's Jonathan Carl even said recently the Biden administration was trying to say the withdrawal wasn't really botched. They're listening to President Biden and his top national security advisors before the horrible bombing. They were making this sound like a smashing success. But you heard what Secretary Blinken just said. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, uh, they've been describing something that it isn't reality. Uh, this has been an incredible airlift, more than 100,000 people evacuated, but what a disaster. Uh, clearly, Thursday was the worst day of the Biden presidency. It is a disaster. That much is clear. We lost 13 American servicemen and women to a suicide bombing attack all in one day during this botched withdrawal situation. And before they can rewrite the history of this, before the Biden administration and all of their little scribes and the Democrat-aligned corporate media can go to work trying to convince people, just in time for the midterm elections, of course, uh, next year, 
that this wasn't quite as bad as people thought. It wasn't quite as chaotic. I mean, even even some liberal journos out there right now are willing to admit that, no, this was a disaster. Here's a PBS journalist, Jane Ferguson, saying to say this was chaotic was an understatement. And of course, then we also saw panicked crowds. So the soldiers, when we talk about security at the time, much of the discussion of security was how to keep the soldiers, but also the people safe from the panicked crowds, from stampedes, from the heat. There were people lost to the stampedes and killed there, right there in the street. So to say it was chaotic is an understatement. To say that there was a semblance of security checks is a misunderstanding of what was actually happening. You you heard uh, Tony Blinken say, oh, look, it's just like an embassy, not like an embassy. Not like an embassy. It's like a stampede of people trying to be controlled by various armed groups. Yeah, that's what the withdrawal plan devolved into very rapidly. That and, of course, a massive suicide bombing that killed hundreds of Afghans and uh, 13 U.S. soldiers, U.S. troops, I should say. So we'll continue to follow this very closely. President Biden's handling of the evacuation from Afghanistan has led to a dramatic decline in his poll numbers. Senior fellow at the American Conservative Union, Mercedes Schlapp, joins us to discuss the political fallout from the chaos. First, I want to talk about my friends at My Digital Money. Everybody wants to invest in crypto these days, Bitcoin, Ethereum, so many digital currencies out there, but it's not easy to get started. That's where My Digital Money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-traded crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based cryptocurrency companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. Because your comfort and security is their absolute top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account 24-7, a play money account so you can test the market, and this could be a great time, honestly, to get into this exciting technology-based investment. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. Again, that's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. With the way the Biden administration has handled the madness in Afghanistan, the horrifying images seem to have registered with their voters. Since the evacuation, Biden's approval rating has tanked. 62% of Americans disagree with the administration's evacuation of our troops in Afghanistan, bringing his overall approval rating to 41%. Will the chaos in Afghanistan become costly to the Democrats in the upcoming, still a year out, but upcoming 2022 midterm elections? Mercedes Schlapp, Senior Fellow of the American Conservative Union, joins us now to discuss. Mercedes, always good to see you. Great to see you too, Buck. I got to say, I thought the Biden administration was going to be a huge disappointment to anyone who was on the fence and decided, oh, I'll give good old Joe a shot in the last election. I didn't know that it would go into a catastrophic tailspin and look like it's about to fly the plane into the side of the mountain, so to speak. What are you making of all this? Yeah, that happened pretty quickly. I got some calls today of people saying, can we put bumper stickers together that say, don't blame me, I voted for Trump. Which, Buck, I think that's very interesting because there's a, in the swamp, I can tell you, there's a lot of Trump people that stayed very quiet during the election while all their neighbors were very happy putting up Biden signs. Now you see the Biden supporters being awfully quiet if you ask me. but. Quite frankly, what we're seeing is not only a foreign policy catastrophe, but a political catastrophe that I believe Joe Biden will not be able to recover from. It's not just Afghanistan. Americans are losing faith in Biden on a lot of issues like the economy and COVID-19. This is from a CNN piece. Biden's decline 
uh, to the withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan is tied to that. But as the data shows, Biden has been trending downward for a while. He is losing ground on a number of issues. His ratings on the coronavirus and the economy has been punctuated by how Americans see him handling the troop withdrawal in Afghanistan. It looks like Mercedes at this point, the bigger question isn't, or the more important question isn't, where is Biden failing, but where isn't he on a major policy issue so far? Yeah, I gotta tell you, when you're starting to see the indicators, for example, on the economy, where the inflation is up to about 3.6%, some of our uh, economist friends have said that that could go up to 7% by next year. I mean, that really hurts the middle class that works, that hurts the blue collar workers. Uh, so that I think will have a big impact going into next year. We're also seeing and continue to see the chaos on the border. I know that the mainstream media doesn't want to cover it, but when you have over 200,000 people crossing the border being apprehended in just one month and you've reached that one million person mark uh, by now uh, since the beginning of this year, Buck, it's troubling. I mean, it, so you've got the chaos at the border, you've got the chaos with the economy, you've got the uncertainty with the pandemic and this idea of a vaccine mandate and a mask mandate, something that I think you love so much, right, Buck? You know and, I hate those masks. Uh, <laughs> I know. And you then you've got the fact of Afghanistan, an area that was for the most part under control, under Afghan rule. And then all of a sudden, you've got Biden surrendering to a terrorist group, leaving behind billions of dollars of our military equipment and uh, intelligence uh, records. That is just troubling. And I think that it's really having Americans think twice about those that voted for Biden saying, what did I just do? I just handed over our national security and our and our homeland security over to this man who who really is unfit to be president. What are your expectations for as somebody who understands political narrative very well, Mercedes, uh, for the Biden administration once this self-imposed deadline of tomorrow? It's really, I guess, imposed by the Taliban and Biden is accepting it. Once that uh, comes and goes, and we reach the point where. We don't have U.S. military presence in Afghanistan anymore. How far out do you think we are from the Biden team saying it wasn't perfect, but it was a bold move that Biden pulled in the summer of 2021? Well, when you had the national security advisor saying that we're going to review and take a look at how we did the uh, evacuation process, not criticizing their own actions, but just reviewing it to just see what they could have possibly done better. Uh, it's it's just so concerning because it just shows how unprepared uh, the our military was, how unprepared the administration was to deal with the uh, downfall that we saw of the Afghan uh, government. And quite frankly, they abandoned the Afghan forces. Look, there was no question that there should have been a moment in time to be able to move out our troops in a methodical way, in a way that would not put our troops in harm's way, not put those pro-Afghan people who support America, pro-America Afghan people in harm's way either. I was talking to an Afghan interpreter who told me that his friends who were left behind in Afghanistan, they received a note from the Taliban. And the note said, either you surrender or you will be executed. I gotta tell you, 
that alone is so disturbing, especially when you find out that these Afghan interpreters, many of them stood side by side with our American troops. Uh, this one Afghan interpreter, he became uh, an interpreter at the age of 16. Now he's well into his 30s. He loves America. He believes that this has been the biggest mistake made to just cut and run from Afghanistan and hand over the government to a brutal authoritarian regime that is abusive of women and young girls and who will stay focused on executing uh, more of these pro-American Afghans who were left behind. Mercedes, do you think that the Biden administration is already in a place where they're concerned about how the midterms are going to look? Or is a year's time enough for the Democrat corporate media and the various uh, allies that Biden and the DNC can count on to rewrite a bit of history and change our focus to, oh, I don't know, the insurrection maybe? Well, this is why it becomes so interesting, right? When you're talking about that you have this chaos in Afghanistan, the chaos at the border, what's Nancy Pelosi doing? She's focused on trying to pass HR4, which we know would impact our election system. I mean, their goal at the end of the day for the Democrats is to federalize our election systems. It's to allow for ballot harvesting, to continue to allow for a mail-in ballots, to take away state control of our election process. So we cannot be asleep at the wheel. Uh, we know that Nancy Pelosi is going to try to push this through. Hopefully it will die in the Senate. But this is where we have to keep a watchful eye because that is the goal of the Democrats and we can't lose sight of that. Mercedes, always appreciate, uh, appreciate you being with us. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Buck. With less than 24 hours before the deadline for American withdrawal, thousands of Americans and our allies remain on the ground in Afghanistan. After the break, we'll talk to the founder of Mighty Oaks Foundation, Chad Robichaux, who's on the ground in the region, helping with the evacuation. But let me tell you about my friends at Black Rifle Coffee. If you're like me, you have to start your day with a healthy dose of caffeine. And that means kicking off my morning with Black Rifle Coffee. I mean, this is some of the best coffee you'll ever get anywhere. And it's from a veteran-owned company that serves premium coffee people who love America. Black Rifle supports veteran law enforcement and first responder causes with every bag you buy. I absolutely drink this coffee every day. I love it. Black Rifle imports its high quality beans from all over the world and roasts them five days a week in Tennessee and Utah. The team at Black Rifle is researching and experimenting with new roasting methods all the time so they can bring you the absolute best. Purchase today at blackriflecoffee.com buck and use code buck at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Fuel your summer with America's coffee, Black Rifle Coffee. Chad Robichaux coming up after the break. Stay with us. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. 
The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. As thousands attempt to flee Afghanistan amid the Taliban's takeover and their tightening grip on the country, a number of veterans are working overtime to assist Afghan allies and Americans trying to escape. Chad Robichaud, U.S. Marine Corps Force Recon veteran and founder of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, is currently on the ground in the region and has been assisting with the evacuation of our Afghan allies through the Save Our Allies organization. Chad is with us here to discuss the ongoing efforts. Chad, appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. Tell us what's going on. What are people like yourself doing? What's your what's your organization doing? And what's the status of with 24 hours before the apparent deadline, the evacuation efforts? Yeah, well, all, all evacuations has pretty much ceased uh, from a humanitarian standpoint. You know, organizations like ours, uh, I individually want to get my interpreter out that I did eight deployments with. Uh, yeah, God had saved my life multiple times and saved my friends' lives, and I was committed to get him and his, his family out. Uh, that began my pursuit to come here uh, despite the SIV process failing him. And uh, as I put a team together to do this, we realized a lot of other people needed help. We identified 3,000 orphans, and we worked with a, a host nation that we're in right now uh, that they allowed us to use their, foreign mil their military, uh, their planes, and their military resources. And uh, we put together a plan, put, built a Joint Operations Command Center, and launched into Afghanistan. And uh, eight days later, we got 8,911 out, coordinated another 3,000, so about 12,000 people we got out. Uh, I wanna make, make it known that we, our people were uh, very vetted and we had a very deliberate process and who we got out and how we got them out. Uh, so mainly SIVs, American civilians, um, uh, orphans and widows or women that would be uh, vulnerable as well as Christian groups that would have been persecuted. Chad, can, can you give me a sense of how, a roughly uh, a, general, a general idea of how many of the, of the Afghans that have been evacuated were actually either interpreters or directly working with U.S. Mil, the U.S. military? Yeah, you know, I can't speak for the military and the, who the military took out or other organizations. Uh, that was our primary target. So we have we, we have about a thousand SIVs and out of our nine thousand that we have out and uh, the rest of them primarily uh, we have a, a group of American civilians. We also have a very large portion of orphans. Uh, that's one of the groups that we targeted. So most of ours to be orphans, uh, women and and, uh, and families, uh, a lot of families of the SIVs. So when I say you know a thousand SIVs, you have big families. For example, my my uh, SIV interpreter has a wife and six kids. And so that's uh, mostly the groups that we have. So now that we're, we're still at, at this deadline with 24 hours left to go, is your group, uh, what's the plan from this point going forward? Are you going to be able to get more people out? Uh, do we know what happens after this military withdrawal deadline occurs? Just tell us what you expect the next couple of days to be like. Yeah, well, about 48 hours ago, we were shut down, uh, both by the U.S. military, who's there, started sealing the gates, really uh, had shut our ability down to fly in and out. Uh, in addition, we filled up our country. We were supposed to only bring 4,100 to this country we're in. We brought 
you know, almost 12,000. And so we, uh, that's the case with a lot of countries. They've filled up the U.S. State Department. We're not, it's not helping on the back end to get them out. So it's kind of like a backlog and jam, uh, jammed up to be able to get people uh, through the system. We're, uh, we're committed to see the people we got out all the way through the end till they get to their new home. So we're going to continue into phase two of our operation, which is uh, making sure the SIB process is uh, followed with the State Department, making sure they uh, are able to get to maybe some temporary nations. And so I just recently had brought a group to another nation nearby. And uh, the only reason I'm not saying the nation's name is not because it's secret. It's because our State Department has been intervening with the process and stopping uh, NGOs and humanitarian efforts from moving people. Uh, I'm not sure why the motivation is to do that, but they have been they have done that several times now. Uh, Chad, is there any hope that people who don't or have not gotten out uh, is is there going to be effort you think from groups like yours to try to get them out even after the Taliban are in full control and the U.S. military presence from Kabul airport uh, Kabul airport has been removed? Yeah, we have you know we have ten thousand estimated 10,000 American citizens still there on the ground. We have uh, thousands of our allies still there. We know because they're, we're, they're still reaching out to us continually and, and asking for help. Our list is, we have thousands on our list of people that still want, want help. So we will do every possible way uh, that we can. Now we have some plans, we have some uh, operational plans I obviously won't discuss here. And I know I'll, several other people do. We're trying to collaborate so we're not running over each other or, or, or conflicting with each other's operations. But we do have some plans to go in and continue to help get people out. You know, uh, I don't, I hope the United States government will not leave our American citizens behind, but uh, I've kind of lost hope in that at this point. And, uh, and certainly they don't have any intention of getting our allies out because they weren't prepared for even us to get them out. Uh, I've I think heard reports had... from people that are involved in this process like you, Chad, that even at some points there have been, there's been U.S. government bottlenecks on the ground at Kabul airport that have prevented people who should otherwise have gotten through from getting through. Have you also been told that by people? Well, our team, our team has experienced that. Look, they, they, the, to say that the United States military controls the Kabul airport is not true. The Taliban has controlled the airport since we seized it. If you control the outer perimeter of something, then you actually control that space. We've allowed the, the Taliban to control that outer perimeter. And the U.S. State Department has, has advised, by the way, the U.S. State Department, the White House gave them the NEO operation, a non-combatant evacuation operation, which belongs to the DOD. The White House took it from the military, gave it to the State Department. The State Department has treated this like an embassy and used our military as security guards and has used the Taliban to be the outer perimeter checkpoint. So even if someone, we've seen this, this is not theory, conspiracy, we've seen this happen. U.S. citizens make it inside the holding area of the airport, then they will be they will be kicked out, sent back out to go in line with the Taliban because they have to show the Taliban their blue passport and the Taliban has led them through. The Taliban is taking this from them, sending them back to where they came from, oftentimes beating them up uh, and who knows what happens to them. Um, so it's a completely failed process. It's horrific that our, our, our brave men and women in uniform are there treat it like security guards and not allowed to help our American citizens uh, under the direction of the White House and the State Department, and that our American citizens who are desperate, can you imagine how scared they are? They try to make it to the airport, they get sent back to the Taliban, and the Taliban has to get look at their passport. Chad, I, I just got to know, are, are you, I mean, this is unfortunate, but we got to know, do you think there are going to be Americans that are left behind after tomorrow? 
100% they will be. I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible to say anything otherwise. I mean, it's a, I wish that wasn't the case. Look, I come from the special operations community, and, and where I come from, if we have one American citizen in a foreign land or in a dangerous place, we'll, we'll scorch the earth to go get them. Even if we know, like, we know we're going to lose guys, we're going to go get that one American citizen because that's what the United States military does. We protect our citizens, and we bring them home. And for this administration to, to agree to a deadline to leave American citizens behind is, is a complete malfeasance of office, disgusting. It's treasonous to me. I know, I know we throw that word around a lot. But you don't leave Americans behind. We don't agree to a deadline. The deadline would be when we get all our people out. That's the deadline. And uh, right now, you know, uh, being being here and doing what we're doing is just so upsetting. It's so disturbing. And, and it's to see other countries, uh, other there's, there's countries that are in the Middle East right now that care more about getting our American civilians out than I feel like our United States government does. Chad, appreciate the work you're doing, and thanks for sharing all of your uh, insights on this with us. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. The CDC is going woke, not content with controlling Americans through lockdowns and mandatory masking. CDC is now trying to control what we say by publishing a language guide to promote, quote, health equity. Coming up, the First TV's Rob Smith gives his thoughts on the federal government's efforts to bring social justice to American health care. But right now, I want to tell you about my digital money. The crypto market's heating up and everyone wants to get in on the action, but it's not easy to get started. That's why Colin Plume, the CEO of Noble Gold, decided to create My Digital Money. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based cryptocurrency companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. Because your comfort and security is their absolute top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, Trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account 24-7. A play money account so you can test the market without risking your money. And with the recent pullback of most of the major cryptocurrencies, this might be the best time in a long time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back and speak to you honestly. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. And we'll be right back with the first TV's Rob Smith. CDC goes woke in an attempt to, quote, eliminate dehumanizing language. The agency published a new language guide to promote health equity and inclusive communication. The guide discourages using terms like alcoholic, smoker, uninsured, elderly, inmate, homeless, poor, disabled, homosexual, legal immigrant. Yeah, a lot of things. But the CDC under a major microscope these days, see what we did there for the past year and a half, it's only a matter of time before they bent the knee to satisfy woke science-defying demand. So what's next and what do we make of this? Here to react, Rob Smith, host of Rob Smith is Problematic. Rob, always good to have you, my man. Always good to be here, Buck. So the CDC is a massive federal bureaucracy, and I think it's important for people to know that these federal bureaucracies are just like corporate boardrooms now, full of woke jargon and ideology. Uh, the preferred terms to give some, you know, they actually give you a chart here, Rob. Instead of inmate, say people or persons who are incarcerated. Instead of alcoholic, person with substance abuse disorder. Instead of a smoker, a person or people who smoke. I mean, your tax dollars at work here, Rob. What the heck? Yeah, this is absolutely ridiculous. And I think this is very indicative of how 
you know, we talk about this a lot because we're about 10, 15 years into this huge social media revolution. So everything that started in Twitter, everything that started in sociology one-on-one classes and college campuses, this has all made its way to some of the, the biggest organizations in our society. This is the Centers for Disease Control, right? This is the CDC. And they're saying that you have to use nicer language when we're talking about smokers. We have to use a nicer language when we're talking about people that have alcohol addiction issues, um, probably people um, that have obesity. So these are the issues that the CDC exists to try to combat. And we have to speak plainly about these issues if we really want to combat them. But now they are bowing to the Marxists and the woke mob of Twitter to sort of um, change the language to me. Uh, it, it is very infuriating, and it's also very sinister in a way, because like I said, Buck, when these people can control your language, when they control what you, what you call things, when they control the way in which you speak, they can control everything. So we have a CDC that is completely controlled by woke leftists that came out of Twitter. It's actually unbelievable. I mean, some of these too, Rob, it just, it's amazing that, that they clearly feel like there's some kind of a benefit just from the performative acts of trying to seem highly sensitive. I mean, you can't call someone homeless. You have to say it's a person experiencing homelessness. I mean, no, no rational adult could, could say that out loud and say that this is a worthwhile expenditure of time and, and taxpayer dollars. or any, Forget about even the taxpayer, just anyone's time, energy, effort, and money here. But I do think it goes to a broader level of, of what you're bringing up, which is that indoctrination, ideological indoctrination to be woke leftists is now, is now infiltrating and all over the federal bureaucracy. Yeah, it, it really has. And the thing that is the most um, off-putting about this whole thing is that the CDC, this is another, yet another organization that people used to trust, right? Um, people are not going to trust them with this woke left language. And God knows that after the coronavirus pandemic and dealing with all of this stuff, you know, the, the people's trust of these institutions are less and less. But how are we going to combat these things? How are we going to combat things like obesity? How are we going to combat things like homelessness? How are we going to combat all of these things that these federal bureaucracies are supposed to combat if we cannot even speak of them plainly? Oh, it's no, you know, we can't fight obesity because, you know, we can't call it obesity. We have to call it People experiencing obesity, or we can't fight homelessness. We have to we have to watch our language uh, before we get real about that stuff. And a lot of the the issues that are going on in society right now, and you and I talk about this a lot, is because people cannot speak plainly and openly about these issues. But for the far left ideologues that now control the CDC, um, for the woke Twitter mafia um, that pushes their language orthodoxy on everything, this is what they want because they want to control the language, they don't necessarily want to fix these issues. It is ridiculous. It is a waste of taxpayer dollars. I honestly can't even believe we're talking about it, but this is just where we are right now. And, and, and to, to make me, let me make one more point. Sure. This stuff is not going to end once we get the senile buffoon that's in office right now out. Um, this stuff is, is going to become, in, in the words of the left, systemic. So we're going to be dealing with this stuff and these changes that are being made right now for decades to come. It's unbelievable. And Robin, you know, I mentioned that this is all over the federal bureaucracy, all over the federal government. We were just talking about the CDC and their word guide a second ago. You know, the DOJ has hired its first ever chief diversity officer. 
Uh, Chief Diversity Officer, according to a statement put out, will join the Deputy Assistant Attorney General to lead and coordinate the department's diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. The advertised salary for this job makes up to $172,000 a year. I mean, Rob, this to me, it's like, it's like in the Soviet Union when they had political yeah. commissars who were in every unit of the military, every major factory, every government body, a person whose job was just to walk around and make sure that you only thought and said the approved things by the party. That's from yeah. the perspective of a leftist what, what it seems to me the chief diversity officer at DOJ is going to be doing. But, you know, it, it's not even that. OK, so I believe that, you know, if we're having different, you know, people in different roles, I, I think that you should get the best person for the job. You know, people want diversity, inclusion, like I understand all of that. But with a position like this, it's nothing. It's for nothing else but the Biden administration, all these people to trot whoever this person is out to be on panels, to go on cable news, to do all of this stuff um, and to get paid, you know, to the tune of one hundred seventy two thousand dollars a year. That is going to come from taxpayer money. So these positions, these sort of diversity officers, um, they exist in pretty much every aspect of society. Uh, all the mainstream corporations, Madison Avenue, advertising agencies, et cetera. These people generally do nothing. They are just people that are trotted out to be on panels, to be the public face of quote unquote diversity uh, for the organization, while the organization does absolutely nothing. And furthermore, this is not even about diversity or inclusion or any of these other buzzwords. This is about them finding people who adhere to their particular ideology. And they want to fill all of these government organizations with people that are sort of very loyal to that ideology. And like I said, again, if we get this senile buffoon out of, out of office in three and a half years, whoever comes in, I hope to God it is a Republican, whether it's Trump, DeSantis, whoever, fire every single one of these people that was appointed during the Biden administration, because God knows when the Biden administration came in, they fired everybody that was appointed by Trump. Rob, always good to see you. Thanks for being with us. All right. Thanks, bud. Coming up, the Marine Corps uh, Lieutenant Colonel who was relieved of his command after slamming his bosses over the botched Afghanistan withdrawal announces his resignation. We'll have more on how the Military, it seems, uh, let him down in tonight's quick hits, but how much equity do you have in your home? 50,000, 100,000, more? Cybercrime experts are alerting homeowners the more equity you have, the greater the chance foreign and domestic criminals will come after you. Home title theft is one of the fastest growing crimes out there. In fact, Home Title Lock, America's leader in home title protection, is alerting homeowners they could already be a victim and not know it. Here's how it goes down. First, cyber thieves search hundreds of public databases for high equity homes. Next, they pull your home's online title, forge your signature stating you sold your home, and take out loans using your equity. You're not covered by insurance, your bank, or common identity theft programs. Protect your most valuable asset. Register your address now to see if you're already a victim and receive a complete title history of your home, a $100 value, free. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. We have quick hits coming up next. In tonight's Quick Hits, we'll honor the 13 U.S. service members who were killed in Afghanistan last week. Before we get into that, let's take a look at some other stories. Uh, remember that Marine who called for accountability from top-level military commanders? Uh, this gentleman right here, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller. Well, 
This is the latest update we've got for you on it. He has uh, resigned after he was relieved of duty. A uh, Marine Corps officer who was relieved of his command for chastising his bosses over the botched Afghan withdrawal has decided to call it quits, the New York Post story goes. Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, who came under fire after a Facebook post last week, said on YouTube Sunday that he's sticking by his guns, resigning his commission, walking away from a $2 million pension after 17 years of military service. Uh, it's a man who clearly has the courage of his convictions. Um, he broke with uh, military rules and regulations, but it seems that only sometimes are those really enforced against individuals. Bill de Blasio, still the mayor of New York City, and he is an awful person and a terrible mayor, and there's nothing that you would say about this guy generally that would be anything other than deeply critical, if you were being honest. But uh, he did have just kind of a moment today um, where people say, wow, Bill de Blasio, here he is um, with a, uh, a turban on at a, at a meeting of, uh, I believe, Sikhs in Queens. You see, this got a lot, it's just, basically we're just taking this as an excuse to show you this photo of Bill de Blasio um, being Bill de Blasio. I don't, I don't know what else to say other than that. So there you go. I mean, the worst mayor in New York, but people, you know, we're stuck with him for another year. Um, Biden, as you know, there's a terrible uh, hurricane that's hit uh, Louisiana in the last 24 hours, Hurricane Ida. Joe Biden is trying to project some sense of, of command, trying to be uh, out there making it seem like he's in control and we don't have essentially an empty suit or a declining uh, dementia patient, the kind of things that people say about Biden. He's fighting against that notion and certainly that imagery. Um, but here, at, he was at a Hurricane Ida meeting, and not only does he sound lost, but he called Cedric Richmond, well, you can hear it yourself. And thanks for joining me. I'm here, uh, uh, the FEMA director is on, uh, uh, FEMA director Chris Wells, she, she's on, and I'm here with, uh, with my senior advisor and uh, boy who knows Louisiana very, very well, man. And in New Orleans, and uh, Cedric Richmond. Yeah, Joe Biden, the guy who's at the top of the federal government, uh, most powerful man in the world, really, and at least maybe the people around him now, you could say, his advisors and the people that are really calling the shots, uh, they perhaps are more accurately described as a collection of the most powerful people because it feels like these days no one really believes Joe Biden is actually the guy who's making the big calls. That's what it feels like right now. Anyway, on to something more important and something that is um, sacred, and that is paying our respects and, and showing all due um, fealty and, uh, and a sense of, uh, just a sense of thanks for the tremendous sacrifice made by 13 U.S. service members who were killed in Kabul last week. Um, here, here we want to show you who they were. These are the, the soldiers, men and women, who gave their lives. Maxton Soviak, 22. This is top row uh, across, you see there. Maxton Soviak, Kareem Nikawi, 20, Marines. David Lee Espinoza, 20, Marines. Ryan McCollum, 20, Marines. Jared Schmitz, 20, Marines. In the bottom row, 
Hunter Lopez, 22 Marines, Dagan Page, 23 Marines, Darren Taylor Hoover Jr., 31 Marines, Johanny Rosario Pichardo, 25 Marines, Umberto Sanchez, 22 Marines, and then we have one more, Nicole Gee, 23 Marines, Dylan Marola, 20 Marines, and Ryan Naus, 23 Army. All gave their lives for you, for me, for this country. Remember that. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.